What if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Struggle Isn't Real. I'm so excited today to have Dr. Jason Richardson on the line. You've heard all of his accolades and how fantastic he is when it comes to everything from athletics to mind-body to psychology for sports to psychology for winning in life. So without further ado, Jason, how are you? I'm splendid. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Well, so I want to dive right into the mind today. And this is so funny how the universe brings things to you when you're thinking about them, because I've been thinking a lot about and reading a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy and about psychology for, you know, naive individuals who know nothing about it, like myself, to try to figure out why we do the things we do, how we could change what we do. And and how to find the, the three keys, no health, wealth, happiness, and all that jazz. Um, so I want to start with a couple questions about psychology. In particular, I want to talk about, um, before we get into some real questions, can you give me like, what, what was your psychology training in? And why did you pick this idea of sports psychology and winning? I don't, I don't think I know that. Yeah. It's interesting because I didn't pick psychology at first. <laughs> I, picked, uh, I picked riding a bike, and I always knew I would go to college because that was just the expectation, not only for myself, but my family. That's just uh, what we did in the Richardson household. We, we went to high school, and then we went to college, and it was very, you know, my, my, my upbringing was, uh, I like to call it uh, the Huxtable residence meets Brady Bunch. <laughs> so, so upwardly mobile, we'll call it uh, family. So it was expected that I get a college education. My undergrad, I went to USD, University of San Diego, the Toreros, a small private school in San Diego. There's two others. I'm not going to mention them because I went to USD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I got to give love to, to the alma mater. Uh, my major was philosophy because all the philosophy companies were hiring back then. Um, but, but I moved to, I moved, I moved to San Diego really to race bikes and that school accepted me. The weather was great and I could ride all year round. And then, um, as it turned out that my racing career took off, um, when I graduated college. So I graduated college, was able to buy a house and live an adult life all because of racing a BMX bike and traveling the world doing that. And, uh, depositing checks in the process. So living that professional athlete life, I did hit a hiccup along the way. And I I entered a slump, if you will, Uh, just wasn't performing at my best, wasn't enjoying it. So man, what's going on? So I saw a sports psychologist myself uh, Hmm. and just got a great Dr. Warren, Dr. Warren, Dr. Jeff Warren uh, here in San Diego and La Jolla. And we're actually really good friends, and, and he's a mentor uh, even to this day. We, we still catch up. But uh, learned a great deal, not only about um, 
performance, but life and, and managing um, everything in between so that I can perform well. Uh, when went on to have a long career racing a bicycle. Uh, and in the midst of that, I got my MBA, uh, my master's in business. And I was, you know, the thinking was that, you know, that was the, something that I could fall back on. I actually write about a fallback, uh, why plan B sucks in my book. It's all BS book. But then, um, what happened? Oh, 2006 happened and coming about to enter a really good year. I, I had won the first race of the season and then second race out, bam, broke my leg, my femur. So that's the big, wow. one. that's the big one. And, um, I, you know, I figured, okay, well, I had a good run. I was one of the older guys in the sport. Maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll fall back on that MBA. Maybe I'll go into my, my, the fam, my, you know, my family's business. My, my, my parents are in Vegas. Maybe I could, I could bring that business to California. And as I was healing or working to heal from that injury, I just wasn't doing that stuff. I was even looking into investing in franchises. I, mean, I almost bought a tanning salon for crying out loud. So, <laughs> you know, not many black men, own salons, but hey, it was a good business. I mean, I was thinking it, but I was yeah, well, hey, we can, we can just, 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 we can own it, but, um, it wasn't working out. Nothing was just jiving. So I realized this, I wanted to race again, not because it was all I could do, but it was because I didn't want to go out on an injury. I wanted to, I wanted to dictate how I left my racing career. So, and that also helped me heal and helped me motivate myself to get better quicker. So I was actually racing eight months later, my second race back, I happened to be on a plane sitting next to a husband wife couple that were psychologists. The husband was a psychologist and the wife was a marriage family therapist. They were coming back from some convention of some sort, some conference. We got to talking and as you do on an airplane, it was, it was good conversation. I said what I did and then I raced and went to school and they were talking about what they did. And I was like, huh, how many years does that take? And I'm thinking in my head, well, I have two years left on my contract and I could probably, so um, I got home and I think that was in October of 2006. And then I was in school in 2007, um, relearning, uh, getting my uh, master's in psychology at that time. Uh, and I was, a, it was a master's doctorate program. And then I, I just punched it all the way through, raced as well punched it all the way through and decided to become a sports psychologist. And at the beginning it was, yes, I can help these athletes not only perform, perform well, but I can really help them transition into professional athleticism from say college or from the amateur ranks. And then not only that, I can help them transition out of it, uh, you know, from professional athletics into gen pop into mm -hmm. civilian life because I'm, I was not only in the process of doing it, but, but I had done it. Uh, so that was the original intent. And then it turned out that, you know, getting my hours as a, so, you know, to become a licensed psychologist, um, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily stick you with the San Diego chargers or the, or the Padres. <laughs> I, was, I was working a community county mental health, um, residential facilities for children. So I was really getting good, actually great training. Um, cross-cultural training, getting training with children, getting great training with uh, families from diverse backgrounds, every socioeconomic status, you know, everything from, uh, you know, poverty-stricken individuals to, you know, really wealthy 
Rancho Santa Fe families um, and people. And so I had this, this amazing um, experience in my training, got licensed and then plugged myself back into the sport world. Uh, and, and as a trusted uh, person um, in the, especially in the cycling world, it was, it was a no brainer for some of those athletes to, to choose me to help them with their Olympic bids or to, to be on the deck with them at the X games or to, uh, you know, sign on for a couple of years to, to do these, um, to accomplish these big goals. Uh, and then from there, uh, my, my friend who's a coach for a, for a private high school team, a football team asked me to come speak. I went and spoke at the high school team and then they said, Hey, can you do that for the parents? And then I did that for the parents. Then the next thing I know I'm on a plane and I'm flying to Dallas. I believe that's, uh, that's your spot over there. You I, got I it. Flying to Dallas and, and unbeknownst to me, I was actually auditioning and they threw me to the wolves and I'm, they literally said, okay. And it was a bunch of, it was a group of Audi designers, the people who designed the cars. Uh, and they said, motivate these people. And wow. I just kind of was like, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I had a really good story because I actually, um, I actually borrowed a friend's Audi and had to drive through the snow in the mountains with like zero year visibility. But anyways, I used that story, got the gig. And then I found myself in front of, uh, doing corporate trainings and, uh, you know, people like Lexus and young presidents organization and transcend creative groups. So it's, it's turned into taking this sports psych piece, this cognitive piece, adding it to the performance piece. And then here we go with that MBA, at least learning, you know, knowing some of that language and being able to apply it in a, in a, execution oh, I would say executional in a workable way for for most everybody to win how interesting that's the long answer no it's fascinating I mean I'm um one of my main businesses is is finance and I always had a connotation of psychologists and psychiatrists as for people that like didn't have it together if I'm super honest you know it was like kind of a dirty secret you didn't talk about it and that might be a Latino thing too we don't really we don't really talk frequently or openly about the things that are going on inside of us. We tend to be a little bit more private about that as a culture. Um, mm -hmm. and, but what's fascinating is now that um, I'm at a little bit higher level, I've, I've actually started asking like many of the more senior executives that I work with um, how they you know, manage their time, how they focus, how they, you know, stress release, because as you're managing, you know, big global businesses and hundreds or thousands of employees, um, so much of it is your mental fortitude um, in just keeping up with the game. And I can't believe how many of them use psychologists in a business sense too. And one of my favorite mentors that is, has been one of, I think his differentiators is he has used a psychologist for his teams and for himself uh, for, you know, 15, 20 plus years. And he doesn't go in the traditional sense and talk about, you know, relationships or marriage or how I thought about counseling, but um, he goes and, and talks about business transactions and how he dealt with them and the way he communicated. And, um, and he switches the psychologist that he works with to get varying perspectives, but from people who are trained in the brain, which I thought was fascinating. And that's a smart guy. And, and, I would say, uh, I like to say fashion forward. He's ahead of the game, I think, in that regard. Although there are a lot of companies and businesses doing that nowadays. And 
yes, psychologists have been known as the boogeyman. I did not get into this to, I mean, obviously I like to help people. I want to serve people. I want people to do well. I want them to do exceedingly well and believe they can do exceedingly well, uh, more importantly. Uh, but I got into this game to you so that so that they can take advantage of their own brains inherent capabilities to get what they want and live the life what they want and to put the cherry on top be happy about it and be happy with it that's why i got into the game and it is a a personal soapbox item for me to erase some of the stigma that comes along with being a psychologist you know if i'm at a cocktail party or some kind of a dinner, or, you know, just, just the small talk. Oh, what is it? You know, people ask me what I do and I say, I'm a psychologist and I, Ooh, and then they kind of, Ooh, watch what I say. It's like, Oh gosh, but you know, you're going to analyze me. And I just go, yeah. oh, actually, yes, everyone's analyzing you, you know, like, so that, that's actually one of, you know, it's actually one of my, one of my topics is judgment and people don't want to be judged, but it's like, good luck. I mean, why, why did you put on that coat? Why did you wear that tie? Why did you take a shower? I mean, it's all judgment, but, uh, but I don't want to get into any shtick right now. <laughs> no, I think it makes sense. Well, I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, you've, you've made a career and a life and a study out of human behavior, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm sure you've had hundreds of examples um, of different types of personalities. What, what's one thing that you wish most people knew about either human behavior or how the brain works as a psychologist? Yeah, I think the brain is constantly working to protect us. And whether it's physically, emotionally, uh, our ego yeah. is probably the biggest one that gets in our way from a business standpoint. We can even think about, I mean, think about the presidential election. How much of it was just ego involved? He said this, she said that. I didn't do that. Yes, you did. I mean, it's almost like it is very, if you, if you just break it down to its fundamental communication, it was, it was juvenile at best. But when someone's being attacked or feel they're attacked or perceive that they're being attacked, uh, we go on the defensive. And so that plus the fact that your brain, especially our primal brain, is designed to protect you. That's what we do. But here's the deal. We're in the modern world. Most of us have food. Most of us have shelter. Most of us have clothing. So what's left to protect our image? What's left to protect our ego? What's left to protect our reputation, our you know, and a lot of that is made is is really some kind of fabrication of self that we've made up in the brain. Um, so I guess you ask what what's one thing I wish everyone knew. I mean, we're we're somewhat predictable, but I will say this. Um, you know, the crowd, the, and it's a quote from a movie, but it's it's something to the effect of, you know, the crowd is easier to control than the individual because usually the crowd's motives are are more defined and more clear the individual motive individuals motives are always in question so but but no going in that that other person is most likely working without even them knowing it to just protect themselves and i think if we can enter into conversations enter into deals with that understanding not that you have to be weak or that you have to be passive but if you can enter into that with that understanding and appeal to that other person's 
sense slash need um, for safety or for protection or to make sure that they're okay and appeal to that first, then you're going to gain some trust, gain some insight, and your conversation will probably be much more fruitful. Interesting. So, so give me an example. So say you're engaging with somebody and you, let's take a business example. So, you know, say I'm engaging with another team member or something uh, that I don't have a hierarchical control structure over. So they don't report to me, um, mm-hmm. but I need to have them do something. And, you know, sometimes there's just some animosity, let's say immediately when you're trying to get somebody else to do something that you want, but perhaps, you know, they don't immediately want to do it. So what's a way that people typically would engage and, and how do you soften it? So if you're talking to somebody about how to engage with, I don't know, somebody they find difficult in a job, what, what's the advice that you give them? Yeah. So, and it's hard to blanket this because if you, you know, if you're working with teams and actually, I actually work with a professional who does strengths work, uh, one, you want to, you want to know that person's strengths and weaknesses, not to take advantage of them. So, but so that you can set them up for success. Mm-hmm. So if I have somebody who's really competitive, I want to set that person up and put them in the competitive situations, whether it's a sales goal, whether it's, it's, um, and maybe, maybe it's an inner office pool. I don't know, but I want, I want that person to lead that piece. If it's somebody whose strength is more on the empathetic side, more on the touchy feely side. Well, I want, I want that person taking my customer service calls. I want that person, um, you know, possibly mediating some, uh, some of the issues and, and some of the issues and, and interpersonal conflicts that may come up in the office or, or with customers. So that, that's one is, is setting people up from success for success from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's also good leadership. The other, the other thing is, yes, I need you to get something done. You're having trouble getting it done. So the other question is, instead of saying you, you, you as the leader or as the person who needs that something needs that something done it's not that it's not that it's about blame and don't get me wrong there are people who do wrong things there are so i'm not, I'm not blowing smoke here i'm not i'm not uh, in la la land here but um but you definitely want to take it take your own inventory and say okay how can i support this person better so that they can get this thing done how you know it's 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 interesting as, as a parent i find myself with the same issues <laughs> that I do at work sometimes with my children sure. or and parents find themselves in, in the same issue with their children. They need their children to get their homework done. They need their children to do something that, um, that they need them to do. And so there, but what, what happens, what happens, what's the best way to communicate to, to a child, especially a young child. And this is something that I learned in those, one of those internships is I, I did better with the children literally physically by being on my knees or on the ground because they're shorter than me and looking at them in their eye and talking to them literally at their level. That's just proxemics, right? So how do you, how do you take that and make that work in business? Well, you're not going to get on your hands and knees, but you can do your best to get to their level, not meaning high, low hierarchy, hierarchy wise, but meet them where they are. Hey, what's going on? Uh, I noticed there's, there's an issue with the, the TCP reports. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves the TCP reports, you know? Um, but the reason why that boss was so ineffective was because he was condescending. Um, he, 
you know, he, he didn't, he didn't take the time to see what was going on with, with, with that guy, you know, who, who was having trouble with the TCP, TCP reports. That guy had valuable information. Hey, the TCP reports are messed up. If I do this, then I got to wait for this, that, and the other, and, no, and nothing else get done. It's a big log jam, right? So if he took the time to understand the issue from the other side, then it's like, okay, tell you what, let's work together on these TCP reports or, or let's get these done. And in the midst of that, you know, I can, I can help you with this larger issue of X, Y, Z as to why it's not getting done. Or I can help meet you where, you know, where you are. So it's not an issue of compromise. It's really an issue of communication and just having that other person see that you support them. And that's, that's a big thing because a lot of times, and we see it time and time again, whether you read Harvard Business Review, Harvard Business Review or, or Business Insider or, or, or you know, pick your, your entrepreneur or business publication, but we're seeing time and time again that money is not the only incentive and that a lot of people, especially millennials, are responding to how they're treated. So if, you're, if you have a business, yeah, there's a customer experience there's a service experience but there's also it's incumbent upon you as the business owner to create an experience within your business and with and with your your uh, not only with your with your coworkers or with or with the people with whom you work yeah, and if, so that, true. if that experience is pleasant mostly positive yes challenging um and, and they see themselves progressing and learning and adding value, then, then, you know, there will be conflict, but they will be moved. It would be easier to move along, move forward from them um, as you move forward. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, um, I've done some consulting work for, I, I guess I fall in the millennial category, um, but you know, I'm kind of right on the edge. Um, and, and I've done some consulting work for large financial firms, because as you can imagine, when you talked about different humans are motivated by different carrots and sticks, um, the, the, in the financial realm, you know, we are, we're struggling for top talent, right? Mm -hmm. It used to be the place to be, to be at a major investment bank. You know, my, one of my first firms, Goldman Sachs, if you got an investment banking job there, you were the creme de la creme. No, if you went to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, um, like the goal was I banking at Goldman for most people, right? You make yeah. a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of prestige. And, and these days, what we're finding is that millennials um, are not as attracted to investments and to the financial realm as they used to be. And it's, so it's funny. So I had a large firm and I won't mention the name, but a very a firm, I think very highly of, uh, reach out to me to ask how I've been able to hire largely millennials and um, specifically, you know, uh, Latinas and women uh, into these positions and, and how could they, you know, replicate that. And, you know, and, and they said, you know, and so I started to kind of answer and, and they said, you know, we've got a study going and we've got this research and we're doing analysis and, you know, we're, we've got this, you know, 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0 rollout we're going to do and super institutional. And I kind of laughed and, and I said, you know, I, I probably should just charge you guys a lot for this and roll out like a one to 5.0, but it's really not that difficult. You're just using the wrong carrots and the wrong sticks. You know, if, if mm -hmm. you want to employ millennials, we are about freedom, 
We are about impact and we are about ability to um, feel like the work that we do has purpose and aligns with the skills that uh, we feel passionate about and uniquely capable of doing. And like, so, you know, so, and, and maybe we don't want to wear a tie every day in a three piece suit. Right. So Not um, every day. <laughs> but it, it, it does look good. That, that's one yeah. thing I do miss about, um, I, I don't mind getting dressed up every now and then. I have a t-shirt on right now, but the three-piece three, three suit's kind of nice. Yeah, well, you know, and, and it's funny, but I think you're right. Um, even I've struggled with that. I used to think, well, you know, m money was the, the push for most people in finance, and it turns out it's even not. Um, so let's talk about something else. So what are the biggest mistakes you see people make when they're trying to change their habits or behaviors? And, and the reason I ask this question is because I've found that in my conversations with people that I engage with in my work environment or through my website, most people want to change something or they're coming to me for ideas or advice. But really the advice that I give them isn't rocket science. It's just the implementation um, or some sort of disconnect they have when they want to change something and they're not able to do it. What, do, what have you seen in your work as a psychologist? What I've seen is people quit too soon. Mm. But before that, uh, and I've, I've, I've turned down work because oddly enough, you know, humans are an interesting bunch and we're messy at best. We're a beautiful bunch. And, <laughs> uh, but I've turned down work because I ask people what they want and I ask them often. And it's not because there's a right or wrong answer. It's because one, the brain likes clear messaging. And two, it's like the lottery. Jason Richardson, it would say something like me. I would say, man, it sure would be nice to win the lottery. I want a million bucks. But the question is, the real question is, do you really want a million bucks? Is it, is it a, it'd be nice to have want, or is it, I want it like the air I breathe want, you know? And, and so when people are working to implement change, a lot of times they go into it with, it'd be nice to have, it'd be nice if, you know, there's this, um, the want isn't ultimately high enough on their priority list. Yeah, that's the bottom line. And so then, you know, when they're doing it, they're not doing it, they're not all in. Or when they're implementing this change, it's kind of just checking the boxes, or it's half hearted, or it's, or, you know, it doesn't, the way they're doing it, when you're not all in, when it's not high enough on your priority list, it doesn't allow for the mindset to change, because you're still carrying with you your old stories, the beliefs, the, the bigger thing that drives your behavior and gets you the results that you say you don't like. And so my job is to really get in there, stick the knife in your guts, then twist and twist and twist and twist. And, it, and if you still want what you say what you want after that, after we get past all of the drama the trauma, the stories, the lies you've been telling yourself about why you can't and why they can and all this other stuff. If you still want that, okay, now we can go. But I guarantee you, once you get through all of that, you're willing to deal with those moments when it stinks. It sucks to go after what you want, where you got to go through that. You know, like I had, I went through an internship 
you know, several of them where I was the low man on the, on the, you know, I was in the trenches, just, you know, working, getting coffee, whatever it was, but I wanted that license. I wanted it like I wanted to be a world champion. I wanted it like I wanted, you know, I wanted to be the Olympic psychologist and that was my path. That's how bad I wanted it. So I was going to do what it took. And I work with, and I, and I've seen a lot of people where they just don't want it enough. It's a, it'd be nice if, and that's, that's not the deal. Like you're, it's going to be difficult for you to change a habit and it can be done. I mean, the military does it all the time. Um, but, but that's a huge, again, remember the crowd versus the individual, but that's the crowd really pushing the change. Um, and, and, and there's a huge social structure in place to support that change. Um, but, but when somebody really wants to change a habit and they're not having success with it, it's because they, they haven't, I would say they haven't pushed hard enough and it's just not high enough on their priority list. At the end of the day, it's just not high enough on their priority list. And unfortunately, a lot of people, uh, they kind of like, not like as in I like this, you know, consciously, but subconsciously, they kind of like having that thing that holds them back because that's their excuse. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. And I love that it'd be nice if, because what I found is that we have, um, we have inner dialogues with ourselves, right? There's sort of like this, these little voices in your head talking to you. And, and if your inner dialogue about something that you want to change is as cavalier as it'd be nice if I lost more weight, as opposed to saying, you know, my body is a temple and everything that I put into it is a a direct correlation to how I feel about myself or like having like this really strong language. I was talking yesterday with one of um, the charities that I support and, you know, I asked this woman uh, what her story was. You know, when I go to some of these charity things, a lot of the women there don't, uh, they work inside the home. Right. And so they, so I never ask what you do for a living because people get a little uncomfortable if they don't, have a traditional nine to five. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and this woman kind of said, well, I don't, I don't really have a story. Mind you, she's got to be 45, something like that. So I was sitting there thinking you have, you've had at least four decades on this earth. You were born, which is kind of miraculous. You've lived for four decades. Um, you've birthed other humans. Like, of course you have a story. We all have a story. Um, and, and the hope is that if you, do the right things while you're here. Your story continues on after you. Um, but when I dug into it, she she had a little bit of that. Well, you know, I've I kind of do this and I kind of do that. And her inner dialogue was so I don't know standard average. She didn't have this like inner voice saying. I do have a story. You know, I am here trying to what she was trying to provide funding for an organization that killed my mother um, because I don't want anybody else's mother to die of Alzheimer's. What a horrible way to go. I mean, that, that, that is a story, but if, if that's you're a story, but it's not her story. When you, when she said, when she said she didn't have a story, that's her story. Her story is um, I, I tend to minimize myself because I don't, I don't know either. I'm not comfortable with putting myself, um, you know, lifting myself up to a certain level, or I don't see myself as important as, I mean, let's yeah. just cut to the chase. That, yeah. That's, that's, there and, are and so it's not many people like that. Right. So, I mean, wh- like, yeah. why do, why does one person have this 
this inner push and drive and another person doesn't, even if they come from, let's say, the same background? Like, is it our wiring? Is it our social environment? It's, man, you, you are giving me the best seeds right now to plug my book. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> let's do it. It's, yeah, so the book is called It's All BS, We're All Wrong, and You're All Right. And the BS stands for belief systems. And in that book, there's a story about two brothers, and it talks about just that. Two brothers have the same parents. They're relatively close in age. They, they share the same room. They, you know, anybody could look at their experience and say it was the same, except for the fact that they were born two years apart. One was the oldest. One was the youngest. One uh, might have been taller. One might have been shorter. So, so just based on, again, proxemics and actual physical location and time, you, your, your perception, your, your filter is going to be a little bit different. For instance, my son, I have an older son. I have two sons, older, younger. My first son will never, and, and, I, and part of me feels bad because he will always be the, the first kid that he will always have to go through something the first time with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Like whatever he does, whether it's a mistake or a triumph or, or, or something difficult, part of me is like, oh man, like, like, he has to deal with me as a parent dealing with him for the first time with this new thing. And, you know, part of that's like, wow, because my younger son gets the benefit of us having gone through it. Sure. And so <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And, and, and then meanwhile, my younger son's probably going, man, Grayson gets away with everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I recall <laughs> that. So, so, so right there, just based on birth order, your your filter starts to is is different than the other person's filter your perception of who you are and the place in this world is different now remember the brain's working to protect ourselves and we don't like when our feelings get hurt we don't want to get physically hurt we want to be able to poke our chest out a little bit at least in our brain and say we're okay or things will be okay and so your brain works pretty fast at making up stories to fill in the blanks, even though you don't have all the facts or you, or you know what's going on. And so, so, that's ex so that's exactly how one person can see one thing one way and another person can see another thing another way, even though they might have the same parents and grow up in the same background, be the same uh, you know, culture and all of that. It's because their experiences are actually, once we start getting into the minutiae, are vastly different. Hmm. So how do others. you, how do you, let's take this instance of two brothers and this one's mm -hmm. kind of close to home because, you know, my, my husband has a brother, um, as well who, um, you know, my husband's very hard working dude. Well, does well successfully happy overall. And his brother is really just, just struggled, you know, and battled with depression and, um, addiction and, um, you know, lots of different things. And, and so um, for me, and I think many people listening, it, this is, it's personal. Like you want to reach mm -hmm. humans and you don't know how. So mm -hmm. when you're trying to have a conversation like that with somebody, what do you see get through to humans? Like how do you, how do you change somebody's mindset from victim mentality, uh, you know, glass half empty and try to trigger them into believing in themselves and seeing the positivity in life? Well, one, we, 
it's checking in with what they want. Do you really want to change? Are you okay? I mean, I know you don't like this drug addicted, unhappy life, but that doesn't mean you're not okay with it. it I mean, honestly, like, I, like, it's just the hard conversation of that. Yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, because otherwise, you know, like, I, look, look I, I, you're, you're not a complete idiot. You know, intellectually, drugs are bad. You know, maybe if you're overweight, eating five burritos is probably not the best idea. You know that. However, you're not making the, the changes to, to, to get a different result. And so on some level, you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I want you, and, and so for me, it's like, how radically honest can you be when you when you come into my office when you see me when I'm doing corporate training whatever it is I say when, when I'm talking to that and, and that's my preface when I when I work with people put your worst foot forward <laughs> I like that <laughs> because well because we're, I'm not going to be able to get there with you if you're blowing smoke to me to me I mean I mean it, it, obviously like you're coming to me for a reason so you might as well just put you know, just lay it all out there. Cause if you put your worst foot forward, I can say, Hey, 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 it's not that bad. Come on, come on back out. Right. But usually when someone's like trying to paint the pretty picture, it's like, well, then why are you here? <laughs> you know, you're actualized. So what's the point? So, so I really like to check in to see what, you know, do you really want this change? I'm, and I'm, and I'm all in, like I am all in, I'm jumping in, like don't even know if there's water in the pool. Like I'm running and I'm in the air. And then I'm looking, oh man, they, they didn't fill the pool up with water. That's me. So, and that's how much I'm in when I go to work for somebody, work with somebody. And I'm okay with taking on the, you know, part of that workload. Cause I recognize that as, you know, if we're a team and we're partnering that you're not going to always have the energy. Every, some people have good days, bad days. Um, you know, we can get into astrology, all that other stuff. So I'm willing to take on pieces of that, but I'm not going to care. I'm not your porter either. I'm not the doorman. I'm not just going to take your luggage and accept the tip. It's like, I'm willing to carry your luggage because you've been, because you've been carrying a big load and you may need some help with it. But if you're just, you know, the, the snobby rich lady with, with, with the puppy dog who doesn't look me in the eye and dumps all her stuff on me. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It doesn't work that way. So, so it's gotta be a little so tough we, we're, both, we're, we're both, we're both going to carry the load. And sometimes I may carry more and sometimes you may carry more, but if you're not willing to do that, then, then you, apparently you must be okay. You, you have to be like, that's just the simple math neurologically. You have to be on some level. Okay. With it, barring any, um, cause there are, cause there are biological issues as to why someone may be depressed. There are some biological issues as to why there are, you know, there are some mental disorders. So, so just that's the caveat to that. Um, so when I'm working with people, with that change, that's the conversation. It's the conversation. And then once we can trigger them into that, then the conversation is, you know, I always ask this question, you get in a car accident, someone rear ends you, whose fault is it? And they first say, oh, it's the person behind me. Oh, well, so what if someone hit them? Oh, well, it's the other person's fault. What if that person had a seizure? What if that person had a seizure? Oh, well, uh, and then we start, and then the conversation shifts from blame to accountability. I was like, okay. But you got in that car at that time. You chose that lane because nobody was in front of you. You left five minutes early or five minutes late. By the way, what if you happen to not have your insurance or registration and the police are there? There's glass and metal in the street. Now, see, because it's, it's not about fault. 
It's about accountability. It's about being in the dance. And so you can walk around and blame all you want because there'll be people who do bad things to you. <laughs> That's just, there will be. I can, I can promise you that. I hope there's not, but there will be. But if you walk around blaming versus going, okay, what's my role in this? Mm -hmm. How, where, you know, I'm still part of this dance. It's a big world with people in it and we bump into each other a lot. So if we're walking around blaming versus going, all right, what's my, what's, what's my role in this? How can I be accountable to this situation despite who's to blame? Then we're having an empowering conversation. Then we're having conversations about change. Then our brain and our mind are working in concert to actually change a habit. I love that. Well, I, I think you're absolutely on point. And I always try to ask myself, I, you know, I have a tendency to be kind of fiery um, when I come into situations that I don't feel are going my way for one way or the other. And, um, and so I've, I've kind of tried to train myself over the years to ask myself one question whenever I'm feeling a negative reaction. And that is, how can I use this? So instead of me reacting when somebody does something that maybe most people would perceive as wrong or bad or rude or mean or whatever, um, me kind of taking no opinion on what it is and just saying, okay, how can I use this in some way? Can I learn something from it? Can I change because of it? Can I leverage this in some way? And, and I think it all stems back to if you have the belief that life happens for you and not to you. Um, then you can kind of rewire that a little bit. And even when really bad things happen, you can think, okay, well, maybe this happened because I wasn't being as appreciative of life now. And now that I've broken my femur in my BMX racing days, um, now, I, now I get to go and, and learn and think about plan B and grow in this way that I wouldn't have before. Um, but I just, it takes a lot of repetition, at least for me. I have to literally write that down whenever I'm mad. Okay, it, I'm mad. It does. How can I use this? It does. And we got away from it. If you think of the old time, you used to watch an old movie and the kids at the chalkboard writing over and over, I, you know, I will not talk in class or I will be yeah. more polite next time or I won't kick. It's funny. We gotten, we've gotten away from that because, I don't know, like uh, uh, people like me, academics, psychologists, people say that that gives the child bad self-esteem. But you know what? That rep, that's, those are the reps. That's a reinforcement of some time, some kind. Now, personally, I would, I would change the language. So it's a little, it's, it's not, I will not. It's, I would, I would make that more efficient from a neurological programming perspective. Um, however, um, yeah, it's, it's the reps. I like that you use that word reps. It's a very, it's a very physical <laughs> training <laughs> term. I like that. Yeah, well, I, I like athleticism. So, okay, so talking about practices and, and reps and programming, what, what habits do you incorporate into your day to, to train your brain or mind or for your sanity? Wow, putting me on the spot. So I have a couple, um, but the main one, and this is something that I teach everyone is I teach them to get into character. I get into character and my character is my best self, whatever I, I think that to be. And that changes and evolves of course, but it's getting into character. And so the way I teach people to do that is 
I, you know, I, I asked them to think of a time they were at their best, or actually to think to think of a time where they might have not been at their been at their best. They might have been slighted, but they but they got through it and came out on top. And I asked them to go really deep. It's almost meditative. How you know what were they doing? What actions did they do? Whether they were clenching their fists or gritting their teeth, or maybe they they did some kind of physical move. And then we create a whole bunch of uh, mnemonics and physical movements and, and all kinds of ways to trigger ourselves to get into character, our best self. Think of it this way. Uh, Will Smith is a great um, person to, to use because he's, he's an actor that most people know of, but that movie, um, that happiness movie where he played the, the guy who was, who was homeless and became the, you know, the million dollar uh, broker guy. I, that's a great movie because in that movie, his character was a dad who was homeless, trying, who, would, who didn't have a job, and he's trying to get a job with a son, single father. And so, but in that movie, did the character laugh? Yes. Did the character cry? Yes. Did the character sleep? Yes. Did the character eat? Yes. So the character did all these things that was inclusive of a complete, full life running the full span of human emotions. Yes. Well, there you go. You can get into character. So what's your best self? I'm the top invest, investor of 2017. I'm the world champion 100-meter uh, sprinter. I'm, you know, the fastest man in the world. I'm the smartest woman in the world. I'm the next president. Whatever that character is, you can be that now. And so developing a way to get into character, whether it's, an, and you know, what, what I'm getting to is, is a ritual of sort, or just a way to remind yourself or to get into that character. It can involve breathing, it could involve a stomp on the foot, it can involve something very subtle when you're in the car. Maybe you just grab the steering wheel just a little tighter, and you think, okay, I'm taking this corner better. Whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is, but there's all these little things you can do to get into character that trigger your brain that says, all right, we're doing this. I'm in, I'm in. I, I just absolutely love that because, well, first of all, you know, as a woman in business, I remember going through this one seminar that I thought was a little hokey that they put all the analysts through at one of my last firms. And, you know, before a meeting, you, you stand up and put both your hands on the desk and kind of wide leg, leg stance and lean in and it's a power pose. And then, put your hands on your hips and you stand up kind of like Wonder Woman, you know, and that's another power pose. And then it's supposed to have you know, actual changes in your, in your, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but well, the, the physiologic, the phys there are physiological things. There are physiological, logical changes that send your brain neurological message that, that because we have meanings, there's meanings everywhere. So if you're slouching, even though you might be saying something positive, it might not come off as positive as if you were sitting up shoulders back, chest out. No, it's, it's absolutely true. And I, you know, I was laughing because I thought, well, this is so goofy. What are these women doing? And lo and behold, you do it. And you're like, you know what? I do feel kind of tough right now. Like, I'm <laughs> so ready to take habit. this on. <laughs> back to that habit. So, so aside from people wanting it or not wanting it bad enough, that's another thing. They feel stupid doing it. Because it's sometimes it's so elementary or it's so um, foreign, but in a very, <laughs> very, um, it's so foreign, but in a very intimate and, and obvious way that it's just, you know, it can't work. It's too simple. 
Yeah, uh, I yes, it think, can. I think we, for some reason, we have this time, this self-imposed timeline on how long we can be playful and childlike, right? And so when you say get into character, you know, it's kind of like playing pretend or when you're standing in poses like a superhero might, you know, you could see a, a young child doing that or you're, you know, laughing for no reason because that does increase your energy level or all these things or skipping, like how can you be pissed and skip? Like, I don't think you can. Um, or having like a little dance party. I mean, I joke about how these little things, which I have no idea the physiological changes that they make in my body, except that they make me feel better and help me as a trigger to get out of whatever negative state I'm in. But it seems like we say to ourselves for some reason, okay, you know, past the age of X, I am now professional Cody and I am Dr. Jason Richardson and I must not play any longer because I'm serious. And we have a hard time, and I know I have in the past, being kind of goofy. Um, but isn't that part of life is that, you know, that's kind of the cosmic joke is that it's the pursuit of happiness. And so why not allow yourself to be a little bit playful? When did we decide to give up on that? Well, the, here's the deal. And this is something probably that motivated me as well to be a psychologist. I, you know, people used to ask me, this is when I was a, a, a more of a narcissistic athlete. Um, like the prime of of all of that mess, um, the, the the narcissist part. Um, the people used to ask me, well, "What are you going to do when you finish racing?" And I used to say, "Whatever I want." Like literally, that was my answer. And I and and unfor unfortunately, society and people close to me were telling me that I should probably tone that back. Wow! Right. Whoa, yeah. what's that about? So, and, and I get it because it, maybe I was coming off aggressive or harsh. Maybe I had a chip on my shoulder. I did. And it was coming <laughs> off. Harshly. However, the, the, the overall belief driving that was I, I can do everything. I can do anything I want. I, I really can. And not only that, so can you and you and you and you. Right. So now granted, as a male person with male body parts, no, I probably won't be able to physically become pregnant. I hear they're working on it, but <laughs> yes, barring anything like, you know, like that, but the truth is I can do whatever I want and, and which goes to rules. And so I respect rules. I like rules. I like the law, most of it. However, for me, and for most humans, we operate by these rules. So you said, oh, now I'm, now I'm professional Cody or I'm Dr. Jason. And, and then you kind of assume this role of what it means to be the professional Cody, what it means to be the Dr. Jason. And then it becomes kind of different or contrived or forced or fixed. But if you can back off, and the thing is you don't need to make huge, you don't need to back off 100%. You don't need to go the other complete other direction. If you could just like, knock off a couple percentage points of that and just give yourself just a little leeway to allow yourself to be you, allow that character to come through, then you're going to see the real professional Cody. Then you're going to see the real Dr. Jason. Then you're going to see the real whomever you are. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think what I found is that I thought when I started working and in a relatively professional setting that I needed to be a certain way. And, um, and so I, I contrived my personality to fit what I thought 
was a little bit more appropriate for a professional realm. And, and I quickly sort of realized that one, that's not that interesting. And two, it turns out people largely like you more when you're real, <laughs> you know, and, and you are more interesting and you are more uh, authentic and they can relate to you better than if you try to be this sort of perfect shell. Um, and I think it's got to help your mental health because you're not sort of combating these two different personas. You can try to align. Um, and so anytime I start taking myself too seriously, I, I mean, I have like a series of practices I use. I'm really big on if I feel like I am taking myself horridly seriously in something, um, you know, I'll go out and, and go for a run and listen to some rap music and I'll be like kind of dancing while I'm running around. I mean, I will do things to kind of push myself out of this serious zone because I think every day we're above ground is probably a good one. Um, let me talk to you about something else. So this is, yeah. uh, this is part of your, your deal is working with people at, you know, the absolute peak in physical fitness and in their realm from professional athletes to Olympians, et cetera. Like, have you found, can you almost tell when you first meet with them, like if they're going to make it to the top, if they're going to be the gold medal winner, if they're going to be the number one BMX racer, can you tell, are there characteristics that you're like, yep, that guy? Um, here's the beauty. A lot of times I can tell when they have it mm. versus when they don't. Um, that's, that's the thing. So, and by the way, we have that conversation if you, if, if you don't have it. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, well, some people recognize it. So they're knocking on the door. Hey, Jason, I, I'm not, I don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. have it. Can, can, can you help me get it? Uh, and that I love that work there, there is, there are those people with a sparkle in their eye. Uh, can I break it down to science? Me personally? No. Is the, I'm sure there is a science to it, but I'm, I don't, I don't pretend to be a sports scientist. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person scientist. I, I deal with the whole person. So, so yeah, there are some people where it's like, wow, that, that person's got it. That person's, that person's there. Um, but even then at that highest level of peak, whatever, um, you know, what I found is whether you are sitting with gold medals and money in the bank or whether you are the starving artist, everyone's got some baggage that they could use some help carrying or, or actually sifting through so that they're not carrying so much of it. And, and that's what I help people and organizations and teams do is I help them sift through that stuff so that their brains and teams and behaviors can be more efficient in getting at what they say they want or finding what they want. Um, so, so whether you have it or not to me is a moot point. And, and, and I had a very successful investor finance guy come to me and um, I just said, why not get out and explore other opportunities? And sure enough, <laughs> he did. And I got one of the best thank you letters ever from this person. He, you know, but he was operating on this rule set of, you know, he'd made an ungodly amount of uh, 
money in the market and he was just driving himself in insane with with you know his kind of this bad stretch of trading he's, he's he had been doing and i'm like what is the point here what, what are we trying to prove interesting don't, don't you have a degree in this and didn't you say you're qualified for that and i would imagine other people could probably benefit a great deal from your knowledge and your experience and what, what are we doing here <laughs> no, not to send business out of my not to send business out of my office or but i'd be doing a disservice to him if i if i didn't kick it to him straight like that um you know, hey man let's get rid of some of those rules yeah and you've already think... that's, that's the other thing you've already sometimes people don't even know that they've already won <laughs> no i i think that's very true well and the other thing is you know i've found um that if you don't find somebody who doesn't have a personal bias with you, right? So, you know, your friends, your family, um, your colleagues, they all, they all usually, maybe, maybe they're kind of like your brain. They want to protect you, right? They want, um, mm -hmm. they want certain things from you. But when I've, what I've found from, you know, I've dabbled in life coaches and business coaches and psychologists and all of it because I'm fascinated by how the brain works. Um, what I found the most value that somebody like you brings is I know that you don't really have an inherent bias one way or the other in what I do. You are truly, you're sitting there kind of analyzing like an academic, looking at the things that I tell you and lay out and um, giving your opinion based on sort of the facts that you see before me. And I think that is so invaluable and most people don't have an opportunity to to ever experience that, um, except if they're in a, maybe what they would perceive a negative situation, like a bad marriage. Um, and then they kind of have this bad association with psychology that, that it's, you know, one way or the other fixes or doesn't fix, I don't know, marital issues or whatever the case may be. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's so important that everybody goes out and gets somebody who's unbiased. Um, let's talk about like one other kind of question I had for you. This was, Crazy, but this last week, um, do you know Wim Hof? You know, they call him the Iceman. He does the crazy breathing techniques and climbs Everest without shoes on and shorts only. No, I've never Getting... heard of him, but oh my gosh. I'll definitely look him up after you're, this. You're going to have to look into it. He's, he's kind of a crazy man, and he'll be in, like, you know, the polar um, ice caps in uh, freezing cold water for an hour and 53 minutes, things that should probably kill you. Um, he essentially works through with this particular type of breathing that he talks about. And so, you know, I've always dabbled in meditation and I find it really relieving, but I was wondering as a, as a psychologist, what, if any, breathing practices, meditation, um, do you recommend for your athletes and for your clients? I recommend everyone go to yoga. Mm straight up and i and i did that as an experiment so that that's one thing i do i will experiment on myself with my stuff so um not only was i my own petri dish as an athlete and i applied this stuff as an athlete and was able to re-engineer how i won and lost after when i got my education after i you know got my education my doctorate i learning new stuff and evolving as well and I want to try stuff out, but I want to just try it out on, on a new client. So I'll do it myself and I still compete from time to time uh, at, on the, on the vet pro racing circuit. So, uh, but I did yoga for three months and that's all I did. 
I did nothing but that. If I, if I rode my bike, I rode my bike, but no gym training. If I went surfing, I went surfing, but no, no, no training regimen per se, other than make it to yoga three times a week. That was my goal. Make it to yoga three times a week. And I was about, and I did it for three months. And then there was a race, the first race of the season. And I went there and I actually, I, I won my first qualifier. Um, I got second place in, in one of the main events. And the only thing that was lacking was my, my energy, my stamina. <laughs> so I'd done no training. <laughs> but, sure. but my strength was there. My strength was there. My mental fortitude was there. My ability to, to hone in on the, and stay in the moment was there. My body held up. I mean, I'm no spring chicken. My body held up. My back didn't hurt. I felt, I felt good. I felt strong. I just was tired. So what I learned in that, in that yoga experiment was, the, and they have a very specific way of, and I didn't take any specific yoga. It was literally 24 hour fitness, whatever class. I mean, I really opened myself up to the experiences, whatever class I had, whatever instructor, there was some I liked better than others. Um, there were some moves that I was great at, some move I was terrible at, you know, body areas of my body that just didn't want to go in those positions. <laughs> uh, but it taught me humility. It taught me to let go. It taught me to breathe because it's a very specific way of breathing. It, and it, and there, you know, there was meditation aspects. So I'm a little bit of a little bit of a ringer in that regard because I had done a, a lot of meditation and mindfulness work just because of my profession, because I used to do that when I was competing and I'm, I, I have my athletes do that. So the breathing is important, but what I, why I recommend yoga is because it really gets people focused on themselves in a, in a very, um, I don't want to say non-judgmental, but in a very healthy way. Yeah. I think, and, I think you said it perfectly. And it teaches you that you can gain strength and you can gain leverage and you can gain those inches, millimeters, those little gains by actually backing the F off a bit. Which is so difficult for us type A individuals. That's right. That's right. right. It is. Um, But I'm a huge proponent of yoga too. And I think it's kind of like meditation for me. For some reason, my brain fights me hard the first couple of times that I do yoga and for the first couple of minutes of meditation um, until I've been doing it pretty consistently for a while, um, a guilt complex, uh, you know, we have to be moving if we're not sweating and it's not hard, then it's not real. Um, And then you kind of go into a quiet space where maybe your brain realizes you're not going to give up on it. But it, um, I would say meditation probably and breathing have been two of the things that have helped me more than anything else. Um, okay. Let's go some rapid fire questions yeah. here. Okay. I'm big. I'm a little bit of a, a bibliophile. I love reading and books. And so I'm always look interested in what your personal Bible is. Like, what is the thing that you go back to as, as a book or a resource again and again to find insight or inspiration from? The alchemist started it off for me. I love it. Um, it, I, and I read quite a bit. I had a lot of time on planes, so I, so I would read quite a bit. And it was actually part of my, my performance plan when I was competing, um, just so that I wasn't obsessing on the race all the time. Uh, but, but I read The Alchemist, and I remember, okay, 
this is my story. <laughs> Not just my story, but uh, Paulo Coelho's story. But, um, but that's the one that started it off for me. And that is something that I probably recommend. Uh, that's the book that I recommend. I bought that book for so many clients. Uh, I'll make sure I link it in the show, show notes. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. And Brazilians have such a beautiful perspective on life in general, I think, which he is. Okay. What about a favorite quote? Favorite quote? I don't know if it's a quote, but it's a, it's a mantra that I have people write down when, when I do trainings is, the more I do, the more I can do. Mm, I do. The more I do, the more I can do. I love it. Okay. Um, and and let's, let's end with this one, Jason. Um, what would be the one thing you want to leave everyone with today? Ah, I think I alluded to it in, in several answers, but I, I, I would say that normally my typical thing is you can define your wins. You're always evolving. So that will change, but, you, but that's, uh, that's not it for me. I think the one thing, I would want people to leave with is I want to urge them to plug your DNA into whatever it is you do, because we get, we humans get caught up, especially, you know, as an entrepreneur and, and in this startup space and in the tech space and in the dot com business and online business, there's a lot of people selling a lot of systems. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ways to do things. Um, and some of it is systematized, but it's, it's not going to be what you thought it was unless you plug your DNA into it. That's what makes it special. I can, you know, when I work with a bike racer and I'll choose bikes because I ride them, I can teach you something technical, like how to get more power out of your pedal stroke. I can teach you how to get a better start, but I don't want you to start like me. I want you to have the fundamentals, but what's going to make your start and your pedal stroke the best once you get those fundamentals, once you get that system, is your DNA. That's the secret sauce, is your DNA on the system. That's, that's it. I love it. I think that's huge. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but if you do it in a way that isn't you then success probably isn't as easy. Okay, well, Jason, Jason, where can they find you and where is the best place to get more information so that they can be a winner too? Got it. Well, they are a winner. They just don't <laughs> know it yet. How about that? Um, like it. So Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at real Dr. J. Rich. That's at real Dr. J. Rich. More importantly, I have a podcast and it's called The Gold Medal Mindset which is on Stitcher and iTunes and Google Play, and that you can also find that Gold Medal Mindset podcast on my website. So please go to my website. Uh, that's probably the best way to contact me, reach me, get more into what I do, get more into, I know I'd love to come and speak and train you and help you and, and I want to see you crush your goals. So drjasonrichardson.com, that's dr jasonrichardson.com uh again the podcast is there the contact is there there's some videos there um, and that's that i dig it well i just can't tell you how much i appreciate having you on the show i personally am going to dig into some of these ideas i love the get into character one in particular and so i'm going to use that this week so thank you so much again for being here with us hey thanks for having me i appreciate it 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go on and off there, did you know about the weekly resource we have for you at CodySanchez.com? It's called the Monday Slay. It's the shortest email that'll ever change your life. But seriously, it's all the best apps, productivity hacks, resources, and motivational butt kicks in one stop. Five bullets plus one quick how-to video from yours truly. So check it out. Link in the show notes to sign up and to get just that goodness each and every week. Until next time, my friends.